Uh, I'm supposed to talk about uh, sharing your faith. Uh, there's a problem here. Last night's talk is a little problematic, gave me a little problems because Walt said the product of man's effort is vanity. But Winston wants me to share about getting all of you involved in evangelism. And then Walt says, well, your involvement or neglect has no bearing on what happens to that individual. So I had to go back last night and redo my whole talk. <laughs> I mean, how in the world can you speak at a conference that Walt's speaking at and have, have some of your own ideas? Anyway, I got a joke that Walt's not heard, so there's this guy goes to heaven and he meets St. Peter at the gate, and this, and he says, what are you doing here, St. Peter says, and this man says, I checked my name, I should be in the book of life, and he looks it up in the book, and he says, sure enough, you're here, but you still have to have more, well, what's that, he says, I want you to spell a word, he says, okay, what's that word, Peter says, spell me love, those L-O-V-E, Peter says, that's it, you're in. And just then, Peter's cell phone rings. And Peter says, sir, yes, sir, I'll be right there. Don't worry, I'll be right there. He says, hold this gate, I'll be right back. Old man wants to see me. Don't worry, it's not going to be much business. Stay right here. Peter runs off. Just then, up comes, through the clouds comes his wife. And he says, what are you doing here? And uh, she says, oh, there was an accident after the funeral. It was a long story, and I just uh, bought it just right after. <laughs> she says, well, what are you doing there? He says, well, I'm running the gate. <laughs> and she says, well, let me in. She says, well, your name's got to be in the book. She says, it is. And then you also got to spell a word. There's a spelling test. He goes, okay, what's the word? He says, spell Czechoslovakia. <laughs> now, in the program, it says, uh, sharing your faith. Uh, you know, it says, faith in the marketplace, but somebody dropped the word, sharing your faith in the marketplace. So... This is a talk about a different kind of faith in the marketplace. It's not like we see on TV where you, if you have enough faith in the marketplace, then your faith will take you far. That if you have the faith, God will be with you and bless your business. If you just trust him, he will take care of you. So faith in the marketplace, what we're talking about is a little different. It's not that just believe God, he's going to be there for you and help your business. But it's faith to share your faith in the marketplace. It's faith that takes risks for Jesus. It's faith to do something stupid and open your mouth for Jesus. And it's faith to do what Matthew 6.33 says. Who's got Matthew 6.33? Go ahead there, Mr. Smith. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now that's a risky verse, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to apply that verse, I think takes a lot of faith and believing that all these other things like payroll 
and income and increased market share and new clients will be added unto you. Well, I don't know if I should be interpreting it that way, but it says literally seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these, all these other things will be added unto you. So that's the kind of faith we're talking about. And in seeking first his kingdom, I really believe evangelism is a huge component to that because you are taking care of and you are focusing on God's business. You're focusing on what's important to him. And what's important to him is what his son died for, and that is our salvation. So seeking first his kingdom is the propagation of his kingdom across the earth. Not the way the Mormons do it. Those guys are just building their temples every seven minutes or so. But it's still a propagation of the kingdom. If they can do it with such ruthless abandon and such focus, for sure we can do it as good as they can do it. But we do it in a different way. And so, as I said, I had a problem with my talk. We had to pitch most of it here. But then Walt did say, he said, this is a quote, for good or bad, for bad, what you do on earth will appreciably influence your eternity. Well, that went by, you know, like a lead balloon. Nobody's going to say, well, what do you mean by that, Walt? You know, for good or for bad, what you do on earth will appreciably influence your eternity. Well, how big your cloud will be or what you will be sipping on that cloud or how big your harp will be when you're strumming that harp or how many angels will be floating around. I don't know how, what that means appreciably affects your eternity. But the first part of that where he says what you do on earth will affect that, I think captures this rumor that we're all supposed to be involved in evangelism. In other words, that... That will be on the test in terms of how, what you do on earth. There is an evangelism component or, an, uh, or a factor in there. So for me, I, I love it because you know, I've been meeting some people from Tucson. Everybody from Tucson I meet comes up to me and says, Lee, I heard you have the gift of evangelism. I said, what? Where would you hear that? And it's banger spreading that rumor. <laughs> I mean, everybody I meet from Tucson says that. But anyway, so I used to think that was a big deal. Yeah, I got the gift of evangelism. Well, here, here's where I'm going to shine for God. I couldn't play football well. And uh, I did get chosen toward the end in baseball, and I was batting out of the eighth hole a lot, ninth hole, when I did get up to bat. So, but what I could really be good at, what I could shine, is in evangelism. Because here people said I was... Had a gift, and I always thought it was part of a sales ability. I came out of the womb selling, and I've always sold things. I've sold lifesavers door to door to get me to camp, and there were six weeks of camp, and my mother was a single mom. I was the only kid there, and then went all six weeks. Everybody else in Davenport, Iowa, where I grew up, only had enough money to send their kid for one week of camp, like Indian days or cowboy days or frontier days, pioneer days. I went to all six weeks because my mother couldn't take care of me, so she made me get out there and sell in lifesavers through that whole town of Davenport, Iowa, until I had enough sold that I could go all six weeks. And that's a lot of lifesavers, <laughs> I tell you. I earned my way to camp. <clears throat> I've sold magazines door-to-door. -door. I've sold encyclopedias. 
I have sold everything. At Goldman Sachs, after business school, I was a top salesman in my office. And, and then uh, the business school at Stanford did a survey, and it came out to be uh, in the top 5% of earned income. Not money that you inherited from your pappy, but earned income, I was in the top 5% after graduation. I was pretty proud of that. It was all based upon selling. And so here we go, God, you got yourself a salesman. I'm signed up. And lucky you, because where do we go? Where's your group? You know, where's my boys? Let's get started, because I am joined up, and I'm going to be selling you now. And so people think it's easy for me to do this evangelism thing, because I have a salesman's gift. And I thought that I could really shine. But I'm not so sure now anymore that that uh, although there is such a thing as a gift of evangelism, that I'm not so sure that God evaluates us on the basis of gift. Or another way to put this, is there any, does God expect any less of you if you don't have this gift? What if you're born as an introvert? What if you're scared of people? What if you have a speech impediment or something like that? Does God expect any less of you if you do not have a gift for evangelism? Or it seems unfair that just because you don't have a gift that you've got to compete with me. I had to compete with you in football. Now you've got to compete with me in evangelism. Well, that's tough. I mean, things are not fair. Nothing in life is fair, but you have to compete. It does not seem fair that you don't have a gift and you and God would expect the same thing from you. Are you expected to perform at the same level? One of the hints here is important to know that every time a gift is mentioned in the Bible, there's always an attendant commandment that goes with it. So it seems like, you know, there's a gift of mercy, but we are commanded to be merciful. There's a gift of giving, and there's a command. So there, every time there's a gift, there's always a command that goes with it. So I'm not so sure that God is paying attention to this or there's something else going on here. Because not only does he give people gifts, but he's also telling everybody they've got to do this. So either God must bend the expectations or cut some slack for those people who don't have the gift, or else fulfilling this command is something different, something different than we think about in secular terms. So, is doing evangelism a command or a requirement for God's people? Is evangelism a requirement or is it optional? Now, does it depend on whether you have a gift or not? Where in the Bible do we get the idea that it's a command? I give two dollars for anybody who can tell me. You have change for ten. <laughs> who's got that verse? I need some change. By, oh, I got two dollars. Who's got uh, Who's got that verse? Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, it's a command, and I'm not sure whether it's evangelism gift, but I am here not to talk to you about sales techniques and how to represent Jesus. I'm here to talk to you about something different, about sharing your faith. It is not something you need a gift for. It is not something done just by the elite few. It is not something done by pastors, vocational Christian workers. This is for everyone. 
we better just commit this to the Lord before we get too far down the road here. Hold for a second. Lord, we commit this to you. This is important. We are privileged to be here on a day like today. Of all places, Arizona for me. And I thank you for this. And Lord, the only thing I'd ask is that you would protect these men from anything that might be wrong or just a little bit off for what you want. But, Lord, we also depend on your Holy Spirit to energize the rest of that. And so we count on you to be here as you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. So my first thesis here is the job of evangelism is not a professional's job. It's not an elite person's job. It's, a, it's an everyman's job. And we have both the right and the responsibility. Another good place which was worth $5 instead of $2 is Luke 19, which nobody knows about, the parable of the minus. Right after Zacchaeus gets converted, he's jumping up and down and says, I'm switching allegiances. I'm through with the Romans. I'm joining up because he thinks Jesus is going to go down there to kick out the Romans, and he just gets converted. And Jesus stops him in the foyer of his home, and he says, he goes on to tells a parable because he, they all thought that the kingdom of God was coming. He's coming from Jericho right down the hill to take over. He says, whoa. He says, there was a, a rich man that had to go away to a far country to receive a kingdom. And then before he went, he got his servants lined up. And he says, he, he goes right down the list here. And he gives each one a mina. A mina. That's like a drachma or a rupal or a yen. I don't know. Just a uh, bit of coin. He goes, do business with this, do business, do business. If you go to seminary, that word do business is a something, it's very exciting for Chinese people to see that that's a command in the Bible because they love doing business. That's in their blood. Here Jesus says, I've got to go a long ways away. I want you guys to do business. Okay, well, that's no problem. We can do that. So, and he gives each one a mina and he commands them, do business with this until I come back. And then there's a few problems because the the, the people don't want this guy to reign over them. It's like Archelaus, when Herod died and his son went to Rome and said, I want the kingdom, I'm the son. And then the Jews sent a delegation after him and says, we don't want this man to reign over us. And, then the, and Rome didn't give it to him, just like if Saddam Hussein passed it and his two Turkey sons, Uday and Sude or whatever, you know, they said, we want this kingdom. But no, these guys are nasty people. We don't want these guys. So anyway... There is some doubt whether or not this guy's going to get this kingdom. He's going for far away. And Jesus, having just read the paper that morning, tells a parable from the paper. And, and, and then he says, and then the guy comes back and he goes, how much you got? It's not the same as the Matthew 25 one. This is a little different. Luke 19. And the guy goes, your mind is turned in 10. He says, good man. You know, he'd be in over 10 cities. One, one mind turns into ten minus, turns into ten cities. In your mind, it turns into five. You get five cities. The other guy, he says, well, I just, you know, you know, just thinking you're a hard guy, so I decided to bury it. And boy, does he get whacked badly. I mean, what is the problem? How come there's such a big deal with him? And the reason is because he didn't want to pony up, take his three-month salary, show up at the bank. If he shows up at the bank with three-month salary, they all know he belongs to that nobleman. And if he's part of that nobleman, he is identifying with an absent king. So the issue is, will you or will you not identify with an absent king in the midst of a hostile generation? People who don't want him to reign over him. And so he said, you should have put the money in the bank. 
You know, and there's a lot of precedents for that. Among the Chinese, especially with Chiang Kai-shek, he says, hold off, I'm going far away to get a new kingdom. I'm going, Joe Stilwell is my buddy, if you guys are old enough to remember Joseph Stilwell. And the communists were pushing him out, and he says, I'm coming back. So he left to go to Formosa. That's where we get all the MIT people. And uh, he says, I'm going to, tie to Washington, D.C. to get the land. He went there, and the Congress said, no, we're not going to send an army back with Chiang Kai-shek to take over that whole mainland of Chinese. Forget it. Chiang, just stay in, Tokyo, in, in Taiwan, be happy. Just let old Mao do his thing on China. And forget it, he never did come back. But all those people who were left behind, who were waiting for him to come back, I mean, wonder what happened to them. We fly, I'm a Chiang Kai-shek man. Can you imagine what happened to those guys? They were really whacked because there was no, they cleaned house. And so that was the issue. That guy didn't say, he didn't want to say, I'm afraid to invest or I didn't want to use my talents. He did not want to identify with an absent king. There was fear. And that, to me, is a great evangelism passage before the nobleman went away to get a land, uh, 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 to a faraway kingdom, to, to receive a land. That is Jesus. I don't know who dreamt that it could be 2,000 years he'd be gone that long. He says to his disciples, do business. Pragmatuomai in the Greek, do business with this till, I, till I'm gone. So what is a mina? Everybody gets one. Some people say it's the Holy Spirit. I think it's a life. That's what the navigators say. Everybody get a life. Everybody has one life to live, one life to invest. You need to invest your life in that which will, that is eternal in the word of God or human souls. He says, my life is turned into ten lives. He says, and he says, well done. Well done, good and faithful sir. My life has resulted in five lives. And that is a passage on evangelism. And so therefore, the responsibility for the kingdom is the layman's. And, and Winston made it very, very clear last night when he did his survey. And I've seen that survey done. I saw that survey with 4,500 of the top uh, Christian workers in Manila. Uh, Ford Madison did that. He said, anyone here who came to Christ, the number one primary influence in your life was a crusade, Billy Graham, Luis Palau, he named all the international crusades, about 200 people out of a huge room of 4,500, 200 people. He stays standing, and then anybody here come to know the Lord, if the primary influence was a church. And I have been doing that, and every time I do it, I have been doing that a lot. I'm getting really cocky. In the beginning, I didn't want to do it because I was afraid it wouldn't work. It wouldn't support what I want to support. But every time, and I'm getting more risky, I'm saying, okay, if your primary influence has been pastor, going for the altar call, any vocational Christian worker, that includes navigators, that includes young life people, that includes campus crusade, anything, then stand up. But then I say, if it's been a neighbor, a mom, an ordinary person, a grandmother, a roommate, a colleague at work, Somebody like that stands up, the whole room stands up. Boy, that's fun. And it is true. That, that is not just luck. It's, it works every time. It is truly God's plan to know that in your pocket, to have that, that that is the plan, and we're part of that army. That is strong. That is really, really strong. Of course, 
there's a lot of things that mitigate against that. That's why we don't do it. But what is the job of the pastor then? Who knows what the job of the pastor is? That's worth three bucks. Who's got the best verse to tell me where the pastor is? Who said that? Okay. But Jay, you're, you're probably not qualified to. to but anyway, I, I, okay. okay. Well, who's, got, who's got Ephesians 4.12? I mean, you guys who memorized the... Uh, the Navigator uh, 60, what do you call that thing? The, um, the topical memory system. That's, you know, that, uh, that but that's okay. <laughs> who's, got, who's got Ephesians 4.12? Go ahead. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's right. He gave these guys, these gifted men, apostles, prophets, pastors, for the to build up the, for the equipping of the saints. For the saints will build up the body of Christ. The purpose of pastors, the purpose of the professionals, is to equip the saints. The work is done by the saints. All the fun gets done by the ordinary people. And the job of the vocational Christian worker is to equip them. So we got those guys taken care of. Now, Jesus is our example. While Jesus was on earth, he functioned as a layman. He became one of us in order to reach us. He related to people through first ID and then DI. First identification, then through difference. Identification, he was with them. He washed their feet. He felt for them. He listened to them. He, comp he had compassion. He was one of them. And then later on, he was different. I mean, big-time different. In storms, he was different. Every time I wake up in the morning, where is he? He's off someplace praying. You know, he just did not react the same way. And that combination, with them first, but being different, that is a powerful witness. And that's what Jesus did. And the, uh, the problem here, I think, is that nobody thinks it's their job. And I don't know what I can do to tell you that it's your job. We can talk to you about your problems. I've done a quick survey. And the three top reasons are, I'm not trained to do this. Go get the pastor. Go get Jerry Banger. He knows how to do it. But look at Jerry Banger's personality. Do you think that's a personality that can <laughs> witness? But Jerry Banger can do it. Anybody can do it. So they say, oh, Walt can do it. All these other people, but not me. <laughs> or I have no training, or I got no time, or I'm not good enough, I'm not, I'm not holy enough. It's not my job to do it. Effectiveness in witnessing is not a function of training or knowledge. I mean, it's just witness. A witness just shares what he sees, what he knows, what he... See, I, I, so I don't know anything. All I know is once I was blind, now I can see. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find food, or one sinner telling another sinner where you can find forgiveness. So it's not about content. It's about conviction. That's the message. It's not about training. And then you say you have no time. Well, you say, I'm no, I have no time. I'm a, I'm a working guy. But it's all by faith anyway. It's all just 
doing it when you're on the job, doing it when you have a moment. You don't know when a guy is going to tip or when a guy is going to bingo. You just do it by faith. Everything's by faith. And, and there's so many opportunities that happen during the day. Some guys need a lot of time before they'll convert. Other people, they just do it right away. You all have had experiences with some brother-in-law that just takes the longest, years after year, and the dumb guys still won't go. But then next thing you know, you meet one guy in a bowling alley or something, and he's there, bingles, right there in 20 minutes. It's just amazing how that works. It's not about logging in the hours. It's about being available when God calls you. And now some people think effectiveness and witnessing is a function of a pious life. My life's not good enough. Well, in a sense, that is a legitimate reason. We have to, we have to be holy as uh, the last two... I don't have any more money, but what, the last two verses of Ecclesiastes. This is a dangerous group. I could do this in a Chinese church and not spend a nickel. That's not a good thing to say. I'm sorry. Please don't tell anybody I said that. <coughs> but the last two verses, fear God, keep His commandments. Anyway, the power of the lay witness is not because he's so good. Being too pious is a turnoff sometimes. You know, I waltz a turnoff sometimes. You know, you're just too good. Can't be like that. The power of the lay witness is because it's real. Not because it's so good. When the pastors are good, everybody says, no big deal. They're paid to be good. When a layman is good, that's special because he's good for nothing. <laughs> There's no other plan as Winston has demonstrated. Now, what is the big problem? And I heard that in a testimony this morning. What is the big problem with sharing our faith? Who said that? That's it. Did you, are you read, have you seen my notes? <laughs> well, what do you mean by fear? What kind of fear? Rejection, loss, and what? Risk. That's it. I was writing them down. There's just, it's all about fear. It's a singular fear. It's nothing else. I mean, there might be some minor things of why we don't do it. But it really is 85% fear, you know. And I, when I, you know, and we saw that book, Wild at Heart, we're supposed to get over that stuff, you know, and be men and not be wusses and not be afraid to open our mouths about God, you know. But nobody, the Wild at Heart thing doesn't talk about evangelism, I don't think. That's not very good at theology anyway, but it's, it's good about rescuing women and stuff. <laughs> What is it? Fighting a battle, rescuing a damsel, or something like that. I don't know. But we all, we want to get up there and be men. But fear, we're such pussies when it comes to sharing the faith. Really. Fear of rejection, fear of personal ridicule, fear of losing business, fear of involvement. Fear of involvement, that's the problem. The guy can convert, then what do you got? You got another kid on your hands. I was coming over here, and I thought, you know, maybe the guy sitting next to me is elect. And uh, sure enough, first of all, he saves from Salt Lake City. I said, oh, good, he's a Mormon. This guy will be impossible. <laughs> I said, I said, you're from Salt Lake. Are you a Mormon? He looks at me, what kind of strange question is that? And he goes, no. I said, good grief. How could you not be a Mormon? 
He said, that is a stupid thing to say. So I did not start out very well. And anyway, it turned out the guy was really open to me. And I hit him three different ways. I came from the left, I came from the right, and I had a broadside, major, the whole thing. I had a diagram I had crossed. I had a better diagram than Campus Crusade, a better diagram than Navigators. I had a very involved chart on what Jesus did right there, but he, he just was dead. He was, kept on going back to the stock market. He kept on telling, we were talking stocks in the beginning because that's how this entree, and he kept on going back to the stock market. Anyway, I forgot why I brought that up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Andy, ta Andy talked about there's no reason. Yeah, involved with that. I needed to do my talk. I needed to get ready for my talk in uh, Phoenix. And he kept, he talked the whole six hours. He used up all my time. And I didn't get a chance to, to look at it that much. So, I, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. I said I had to redo it. You're right. That's right. God knew best. But we don't want to look foolish. We don't want to look weak. And we don't want to look like losers. That's why we don't share. And... That's that's a shame. And uh, now I'm not gonna. I got I got five dollars here for who can show me the best passage in the Bible. Okay, what is it? <laughs> Buzz. Well, relative to this topic, I believe. Who's got change for a ten? Because I got to give this. A, I need change for a ten. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. It's that's a good passage. Say. That's not the one I have in my notes. That, that's the first one. I'm looking for the one. Who, who knows the one that's got the one in my notes? The best passage that speaks toward fear that I think, not what you guys think, uh, and fear and evangelism. Lee I, Lee, I think that would have to be Matthew 5.16. And that is, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't hear the word fear, but anyway. This is the last one. I'm putting my money back. Thank you very much. I'm going to be... Thank you very much. He's the same age as my son. Cannon. Go ahead. You, are you betting every hole too? Two bucks a hole. <laughs> How about, do not fear him who can just kill you, but fear him who can throw That's you into the That's Walsburst. That doesn't count either. Okay. <laughs> Acts chapter 5. That's a whole chapter. That's my chapter. I love that chapter. Acts chapter 5. And it starts out with this Ananias and Sapphira story. You remember that? Then these guys go crazy preaching. And they're out there. They cannot shut them up. And these guys, are the, the, the powers, the municipalities get really mad. They grab them. They put them in jail. Then they get out of jail. And then they try them. And then they won't. They just will not stop. It's 17 to 26. They... 
they grill him, and they say, will you stop this stuff about Jesus? Shut up. Just This is a gag order. Do not, do not mention him. You're just causing this city to go up in an uproar. And then in 27 onwards, they get whipped and flogged and beaten. But these guys just will not stop. And the great line, Peter says, the great line, Peter, Acts chapter 5, 29. Go ahead. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God because that's the thing. And, you know, and I was studying that, and I wondered, what in the world is Ananias and Sapphira's story? That's a random story. Remember that? The guy come in, you know, and they're sharing. It's a communist deal. <laughs> I love to share, too. I love, but the principle in sharing is you always share with the guy that has more than you. You got 50 baseball cards, and I got 10. Well, sure, put them together, and we'll just share them. <laughs> okay, well, you got... You got a house worth four hundred thousand, and my house is worth two eighty. Why don't we just sort of live together? We'll sell yours, sell mine. We'll put together, and we'll just live together. You know, and I guess that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They were selling their property, and then one of them was talking to the other one. You know, I don't know who was talking to who, but you know, this ain't fair. You know, we got the biggest property in this whole bunch. All these other guys are just merchants and banana sellers, and people <laughs> in the banana. But we we have this big old house. You know. And what did we get for that thing? It was like 400, 440, you know. But see, golly, to put that in the pot with everybody else's lousy little pot, you know, contributions, not fair. Why don't we just say, I mean, why don't you just say 400 instead of 440, you know? I mean, who's on 400 is a round number? I don't know who. It's probably the, the lady. What do you think? Ladies probably talking to men. There's, you know, don't feel. I mean, it's, you know, lady, she's more practical. So why don't we just go 400? You keep the 40, just in case we get old, we need some money later. And so the dumb guy, he goes, okay, that's a good idea. And he comes in front of them, Peter, and he says, we, give, we laid at your feet what we sold. So what did you sell that for? So uh, we sold this property. This property? We sold this property <laughs> for $400,000. And Peter says, oh, Ananias, I'm so sorry, you know. You lie before God. And then he all of a sudden he goes, like this, on his nose, and just really, you know how bodies, when they hit some marble, they just, this is a big old splat. He's dead right in front of him. Everybody gets shook. I mean, everybody who saw that, my holy cow, I mean, talk about overreacting, God, he's just a little, little lie. Just strike him dead right in front of him. Pull him away, so they pull him by his ankles. He's, he's dragged out. You know, three hours later, the wife comes in. Hey, where's Annie? Where's Annie? And he says, oh, what's going on, guys? And so, Peter says, come over here. Sapphira and everybody goes, oh. Sapphira, I want to ask you a question. You know, that, okay. He says, well, you know, you guys sold that house. You contributed to the pot. Really appreciate it. What you pay for the, what'd you get for that house? She goes, what did I get for the house? Everybody's going, oh. And she goes, uh, we got, what did we get for the house? I think we got, everybody's going, oh. She says, we got 400000 And I tell you, I'm talking about a major day in the history of the church where that is, that is an event. I mean, people are spooked. If people see that, I think there were people who changed their underpants that day. And why were they afraid? I mean, really afraid. They're 
fear gripped that place because they were afraid because that could have been them. I mean, every one of us, we tell fibs, we have played games with God. We have pulled some stunts. That could have been me. If I'd have been called up there, that could have been me. And I tell you, three hours apart, and there's not even a couple seconds, they just dropped. And that's scary. And that place was energized. I don't know if there's a relationship between how energized those guys were to talk about the faith and what happened to Annie and Sapphira. But then they're beating them. They're telling them, you've got to cease and desist or put you in jail. And Peter looks at them and says, we just got we got to fear God. We don't fear man. I'll tell you, the best way to get the fear of man out of your heart is to fear God. That'll do it. That's why Ananias and Sapphira stories right in there. These guys, you know, don't even do whatever you want to me. You could put me in jail, flog me, whatever. Look what happened. You weren't there when we saw Ananias and Sapphira drop. I was talking to the guys from San Diego about lust problems. Now, I think you guys brought the subject up, but I was at the table when you guys were. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, they were talking about the moral purity. The Moral Purity Workshop where nobody signed up. I mean, who's signed up for that? <laughs> what, do you got a problem or something, you know? And uh, I remember Walt's solution. I, I, there was a friend of mine, and of course my friend and I, and, and I, we talked together about this problem because we're like you guys. I mean, uh, of course the Chinese are not as bad as you guys. <laughs> but, and I always listen to Walt. I never ask, but whenever somebody else is going to ask Walt, I listen. I listen in the conversation, see what he's going to tell the guy. And I remember a guy saying, i got this problem with pornography. I've had it since I was youth. I can't get rid of it. I just cannot stop. I've tried this. I've tried that. It comes upon me, and I am hooked. I can't. And here, what does Walt say? Really kind, compassionate, caring. <laughs> Walt, he says, if I kill you, would that help you? If I threaten to kill you next time you do it, would that help? I go, what? I said, what if I threaten to kill you? Would that help? Well, that's a silly question. But that's what, you know, that, that's, I don't know. I don't know if you got that from just reading Ananias and Sapphira that morning. But those guys, I think there was a committee, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. They're up there in heaven and say, how do we get this church energized for evangelism? And they're trying to figure out how to imbue into them a a heart to share their faith and not fear anything. And somebody comes up with, why don't we kill a couple of them? <laughs> I don't know who that was. That was Jesus. Can't say it was Jesus. I'm sorry. Probably the Holy Spirit. And then, and then God says, that's a good idea. Let's do it. Let's kill a couple. And that's why Walt says, what if I kill you? Will that help you? You know, and I think that'll do it. I think it's the fear of God that will just get our act together and get on with the, get on the program. That's why I think Acts 5, that was a $10 question. Nobody would have gotten that. I would have been safe, but I was chicken. Fear is a motivator. And then they, they, didn't, they didn't settle on the fear because uh, I think the story is uh, he didn't go with, okay, if you kill me, you can go ahead and kill me if next time you do. I think it was like $1,000 per look. Next time you look, you give $1,000. And uh, that's, that was the deal. And I asked him, how, 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 how long did it get you to quit? How much did you have to pay? About 17000 
I think the story goes, I don't know, it's just a rumor. And, and he said it's worth every penny. But uh, got to have this kind of accountability. Well, I'll tell you what I fear. Fearing God, that helps. I'll tell you what I fear. Is there anything that we can have in the Bible, a verse that would make that, that puts scariness with evangelism? That's $5. Who's got that besides the guy holding the yellow card? Who's got that verse? Time's up. Time's up. <laughs> I'm looking for a verse that puts scariness. Scariness. The kind of scariness like we've had in Ananias and Sapphira in, with the injunction to do evangelism. Brent, where's, your, where's that verse? It's uh, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Listen to this verse. This is scary. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Luke 12, 8 and 9 is another one. Who's got that? And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men... The Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Oh, we're saved by grace. It doesn't matter. You know, just just ignore that. And uh, Jesus covers the whole thing. But I think those are scary verses. You know, and Lord, I don't need to Ananias and Sapphira in my life. I got those two verses. And I tell you, fear of God is the best antidote to fear of man. You can either fear God or you fear man. Now, another additional reasons of why we should not fear. Three of them. One, we never do evangelism alone. It's always a partnership function. It is like the Mormons in that way. They always go two by two. But we do our evangelism with Jesus. He promised in the Great Commission, at the back of the Great Commission, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. Everybody these days say, Oh, have you experienced Jesus? I want to experience Jesus. Well, the way to experience Jesus is to get involved in evangelism. That's a promise. He will be with you. You are not alone. And I tell you, you can actually feel it. He is right there. It's a partnership. It's a conspiracy. You're working with him. He is on your side. And especially with these divine appointments. You know, you can go out there and you run into one of the elect. That's a divine appointment. I love witnessing to people with a divine appointment. Sharing Jesus and doing evangelism on people with a divine appointment is like trading the stock market with inside information. It's great. You go out there... And you know Jesus is on your side. You know you can't lose. He's with you. It's part of his will. Second thing, our job is not to convert people. It's just to confess Jesus. You know, everybody wants to close the deal, but it's, that's not it. See, all of us are a product of a multiplicity of influences. That book that was held up about Layman Look Up has got a great chart that demonstrates that all of us really are a product of a multiplicity of influences. In that book, it says... Could have been some grandmothers paying, uh, praying for you before you first was born. And you went to a VBS because some neighbor brought you to a vacation Bible school or in 
high school, you met Young Life. In college, you met the Navigators or Campus Crusade. And then in, uh, you had a roommate or then at work or some girlfriend. She's the one that usually does it to you. Or some, uh, somebody at work or a neighbor or somebody like that. There's just there's a huge multiplicity of influences that affects you. So we're not all a product of one guy's great sales techniques. It's all a combination. And the way I like to think about that is uh, we have a big scale at our home. It's a German scale, and the kids always like to play with that. And anytime anybody came over to visit, all the kids would congregate around that scale. It's a scale with two marble levels, and it's a little pointers in between, and that thing would go. So on the left-hand side, you put it on a big weight, you know, big, big old heavy thing, and on the right, you start adding weights to the thing. And pretty soon, they would try to get just enough weight to tip that scale to find out where that tipping point was, dropping pop t popsicle sticks on it, dropping toothpicks, even dropping little bits of Kleenex until that scale would tip. Well, that to me is a great picture of what evangelism is. Evangelism is just tipping a scale. We just add weight. You just keep adding weight to that one side until the scale tips. And you don't know when, when that tail, scale is going to tip. This whole thing is a by-faith venture. You know, your job is just to add weight to this guy's life. And you don't know when it tips. When Billy Graham comes to town, well, he's a huge weight. He comes in, <coughs> just everybody goes up, you know. <laughs> You know, you think, well, I'm not like Billy Graham. I'm telling you, when you see Billy Graham on TV and you see those aisles, those people going down those aisles, it's not because of Billy Graham. In those people going down those aisles, there is a lot of input, a lot of weight that's been added by laymen. Billy Graham was just the final weight that tipped it. But who says one weight is more important than the other? Who says Billy Graham's weight is more important than that mother who was sharing with him or, or that guy at work who mentioned it, you know? That is all contributing, and you can't take away that earlier weight and get that thing to tip without all the weight cumulatively working on it. And that's the game. That is the business of evangelism. Five, buck for who, five bucks for who's got the best verse that describes that. Time's up. First, who's got that? First Corinthians chapter three, five to seven. Good thing we said times up. We just saved them. What is Apollos, after all, and what is Paul, ministers through whom you became believers, just as the Lord assigned each one? I planted. Apollos watered. But God caused the growth. That's it. Our job is not to convert. Our job is just to confess. In the result, in the end, it is up to God. It is, as Walt says, is all God's doing. Please. And then there's that verse, I don't know the address, but it's no one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him. Yeah. Where is that verse, Walt? Okay, John, fine. Thanks, Jay. Yeah. Okay. So, therefore, we are the mouthpieces. Keep your flesh out of the situation. You don't have to push this. 
You've got to remember that you cannot contribute to the work of God. But we are allowed to get cut in on the action. We are commanded to. We, are, we do it because we're obedient. We do it because this is God's plan for us. We don't do it because he needs us. Ministry of, by evangel ministry of evangelism is by faith venture from start to finish. We do not know when someone tips. Therefore, successful witnessing is not a function of sales effectiveness. It is rather a function of sovereign election. People don't become Christians because of your sales ability. It's because they are one of the elect. Who knows the best verse for $5? The best verse for a methodology of evangelism. A methodology, a blueprint for evangelism. The best verse. I'm thinking of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Nope. But what was the verse anyway? <laughs> to, the Jew, to the Jew I became as a Jew to... Those without the law, I became like one second, without the law. That's probably second, yeah. That's, that's what Jesus did. Two? How much do you get for second place? Uh, go ahead. Uh, did Cannon, did you want to do it? Go ahead, uh, Roger. I was thinking of the one where he says, I, I became all things to all men that I might win some. That's what Glenn just said. You guys are thinking a lie. You guys got the same Bible teachers. Best verse for a methodology or a blueprint for evangelism. Just something to think about. See, I knew you guys could do it. That's why I'm standing up here. The one with time's up. I knew it. But no, time can go. But sanctify God, for sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you, to make an account for the hope that's within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. First Peter 3.15, that's it. Sanctify Christ. It starts out with the sanctify Christ as Lord, in your, as Lord. And that is, sanctify is like set apart, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, or to purify a vessel, purify yourself. It's holiness. It's a clean life. A sold-out person is the best witness. And you do that through obedience, as Micah talked about this morning. It's obedience. It's a person who is serious about following Christ. That is the beginning. You sanctify Christ as Lord. And in your hearts, this is a personal relationship. This is no religion. We're not getting you to sign up for some kind of a sales uh, marketing scheme. This is a relationship. This is something from the heart. This is my heart sharing with you. This is something that's that's touched me in my heart. It's an intimate, personal, sweet thing. This is what we're witnessing. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And Cedar once told me, a guy that, I, that was head of our ministry in Hong Kong, you really can't witness to a man. And you really can't minister to a guy until you really learn how to love a man. You know, and it just hit me to learn how to really love a man. And to understand what that means. That's our business. Loving men with the love of Jesus Christ. And sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready. That's the third thing. Always being ready. Get up in the morning. 
And it's, a, it's almost a part of the morning ritual. You're praying. It's like going out there to find the elect. It's like an Easter egg hunt. Go out there, kids. Get out there. They're out there. It's, it's like finding them. You know, Jay Wheeler is an example of that. My uh, roommate says, that's the Jay Wheeler. He's just, he's just all, he's always witnessing. They were stopped in a gift shop, and he said within two minutes, Jay Wheeler was witnessing to some guy with a bum leg and sharing Christ with him. He said, that guy must have sharing Christ on his heart. I don't know, if Jay, if you do that all the time or you were just, yeah, well, help, thank you, but... You, you probably do it all the time because he said it's very natural. He said he did it very naturally, very winsome. It was just a natural thing. And he said, I count it's about two minutes. He got into it in two minutes because he's ready. And the problem is we don't witness in, at work because we are not ready. We're not even thinking about it. All it takes is being ready. You know, like when I got on the airplane, I was ready because I knew since I was coming out here talking about it, the guy sitting next to me was probably... Be somebody, because so I could tell the story. And then, then the lady next to him, I recognized her from Boston, from the Boston Fellowship. We're in this Boston Fellowship where people get together to share Christ as a market street, a marketplace network. I thought I recognized her. Then after he got done talking to me, because I was petering out, he started talking to her, and I was listening to their conversation. They were talking about kitchens and their house she was doing and her yard and what her dog and cat or something, and I said, that can't be the same lady that's in the same witnessing group, although they look, they, well, you know, you guys all look alike to us, but I thought, <laughs> you know, I thought that that was the lady, you know, but from what she was talking about, that whole conversation, we were pretty scrunched up in there, either she was not the lady or she was not ready, she blew it. I was prepping this guy the whole time, and then she goes off and talks about kitchen and her house. That's inane, stupid things. I bet you the guy didn't even remember what they talked about. That was totally a waste. And how much time do we waste all the time? We're not ready. There were seasons in our lives when we were ready. When we were younger men, we were on the point all the time. But to stay on the point your whole life, that's the ball game. You've got to always be ready. That's because it's going to happen. God is going to tap you on the shoulder. And, and the only reason, you've got to be intentionally ready. If you're not intentionally ready to witness, you never get around to it. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense. Witnessing is a defense, not an offensive thing. We're on defense. Offense stinks. Offense is clubbing people. That's Southern Baptist, pardon me. But, you know, that, that's the caricature. You go around clubbing people. Do you hear this? you hear about Jesus? We're on defense. And it, it, and it is a laid-back thing. It is something you, uh, you never do it as an offensive exercise. When I get my, with my cocky son, who gets pretty good in chess, you know, he won the high school championship in chess. He says, Dad, come on, let's play, you know. And when I used to play, and he plays the same way I play, King's pawn out four to King's four. Queen all the way to the right and then slash and burn until they, and bring in some bishops before they kill you, you know. And if that, and they kill you, then you, you quit. You don't want to play the rest of the game. It's too boring, you know. But this guy is so cocky, he thinks he can beat me. He starts to beat me. So I changed my whole way of playing chess now. I play defense. I just move my pawn up there. I set up my middle. 
I am just waiting. I said, come on, Mike, come on. I am waiting for you. I am in defense. And he's coming in. And when he comes in, they just kill him and just crush him because I am playing defense. I win when I play defense. A completely different style for me as a completely different style in evangelism. It's defense. It is always being ready to be on defense. And therefore, you've got to know the basic questions. All the basic apologetic questions. How many of them are there? There's not that many. There's like eight, eight books on them. As, you know, why is Jesus the only way? What about the Muslim? What about the Eskimo who never heard? You know, what about all the hypocrites in church? How can you explain the errors in the Bible? Just get them all down. You just get about, what are there, 17 of these questions? You get them down. They're coming. They're the same old stupid questions. They are coming. You just know them. That's all you got to do. Get ready. They're coming. Go on defense. And I like the way Walt does it. Walt is, this is, Walt is a classic defense guy, you know. He lays back, he's like, are you in this conversation, Walt, you know. And he's just laying back, he's not talking. And he's just waiting, and the guy will say, coming at him with questions, and the guy doesn't want to listen, so Walt's not talking. And I say, come on to Walt, hit him, club him. Walt, don't let him get away with that, just give it to him. He's laying back like a lion. But when he talks... It is way more powerful than when I club people. Just powerful stuff. Defense. And to everyone who asks you, that's the thing. Everyone who asks, you've got to work to produce the ask. And this keeps you alert. You conduct your life in a way, in a manner that produces the ask. And you've got to listen for the inquiry. How do you get the inquiry? How do you get the ask? Well, you serve people. And that causes them to ask. You demonstrate different life, different values. And, you, and it's the way you handle trials, different focus on your life. That's how you produce the ask. And when I was first working at Goldman Sachs, and I first walked into the trading floor, I was so impressed with these salesmen because they had a 72-button telephone. A, but, a telephone with 72 buttons on it, because my, my telephone only had four, but they had 72. They had six rolls of 12, all the way across, and everyone had Chase Manhattan Bank, Bank of America, uh, you know, Manny Hanny, and all the big funds, and, and these guys were servicing them. And, and when their buttons would ring up, they're just watching for that button to light up. And so they're servicing people all the time. All of a sudden, here comes a button, let me say, and the guy goes, hey, what do you think of uh, Diamondbacks this year? You know, and that's just... Nothing, but you're listening for the inquiry. Oh, yeah, it's too bad they lost that trade to, to Boston for Hillenbrand and, and Kim. We got rid of Kim, but, you know, I'm not sure Hillenbrand is doing it. You know, you just talk and stuff, you know, but you're listening. Here comes the inquiry. Hey, what's going on in the drug stocks today? Here comes, going to do something in drugs. You know, and everybody's getting ready. And he says, oh, the drugs. Yeah, well, we see a lot of stuff trading. They're kind of weak today. The big farmer's weak. Biotech is strong, but he don't, you don't know. If it's big pharma, biotech, Merck, man, Merck is getting hammered. I think they're coming short on their earnings, you know. And he goes, yeah, you know, what, what are you saying? I think it's big pharma, it's big pharma. <laughs> he says, yeah, we traded a big block down three, you know, and, uh, and it was clean. Everybody, the market's scooping it up down three. I mean, but if you, you know, if you guys, you know, stock the work, Maybe we can trade it, uh, you know, give, give me the order. Maybe we can get it down one and a half. It won't, won't be so much. We can just work the order. And the guy goes, I'm thinking about picking some. I'm thinking about picking some up if we give you three, 
down three again. He's a buyer of Merck, down three, buyer. You know, and so you're just listening, but you're playing this game. You're just dancing. And people come in to you, and they're going to talk to you, but they don't know you're the, you're the kind of guy that they want to talk to, or you're the kind of guy that's got the answer. Maybe they got a kid that's gone that's gone bad. Maybe they got a kid that's on drugs. Maybe they got a wife that just found out that she has cancer. They're calling you up about the Diamondbacks, but there's an inquiry in there. You listen for the inquiry. He's just chatting with you. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Then, bingo, here it comes. And that is the ask. And that's what you've been working for. My wife came home one day. She said, I've been working for three years, and I got the ask today. And she was so happy because she was working for the way to give a defense to anyone who asked. When we got converted, we were invited over to the house of June and David Olders for lasagna. And this was my wife's friend because she substituted for her at this Department of Defense school in Germany. And we're over there and having lasagna, and I'm saying, what are we doing over this house? These guys, these guys from Lexington, Kentucky, married a Japanese girl from Hanford, California. I was bored. And then, my wife was talking to him, and I was having ADD that day, looking out, <laughs> out the window. And then my wife suddenly says, you know, what, what is it about you guys? Why are you so different? You know? And that, that was the ask. I can just imagine those two going, yes, bingo, you know? And, uh, you know, and they're going, well, they're very calm. Uh, funny you should ask that, you know? But that is the question. We've been waiting for that question. And my wife pops the question. And she is ready. And they said, well, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But underneath they're going, you know. And, and she said, personal relationship with Jesus. Well, what's that? You know, and they're going, oh. And so um, that was it. That, and that was the elect. Miltini asked that question. That was the moment. And finally, always be ready to make a defense. Everyone asks you to give an account for the hope that's within you. But we talk hope. We're not talking about how Jesus helped me get my business up or got my marriage together. We, we're talking hope. That's the message. We talk purpose. As Walt says, the job of any religion is not to provide salvation, but to give you purpose. We're talking purpose, talking hope. We don't preach religion. That's man's attempt to reach God. We talk purpose. We preach a revolutionary, life-changing hope, another reason for living. Also, we don't preach certainty. That is the biggest turnoff. I've been polling people, you know. They just hate it when they hear Christians say, Oh, the Lord told me this, or I know for sure. We don't know anything for sure. I always say, I'm not sure. We do not preach certainty. We preach hope. Hope is the assurance of things not seen, the, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's got to be either invisible or future, or it's not faith, according to Hebrews 11. So that's not sure. So you don't turn these people off by saying you're sure. The women, they talk that way. We're not going to talk that way. And then finally, yet with gentleness and reverence. Yet with gentleness and reverence. I've got to remember that. Our methodology is not one of aggressiveness or condensation. Gentleness, we're soft. Gentleness, we are soft, not hard. We are empathetic, not judgmental. We're laid back, soft-spoken, winsome. 
Reverence means respect for the person. Gentleness and reverence. That's the way we witness. This 1 Peter 3.15 is the blueprint for evangelism. It's great. And it's gentleness and reverence. In Walt Henderson's diary, day 100, viewing people correctly. First sentence, viewing people correctly is one of the most important qualifications in becoming a Christian disciple. The last sentence of day 100. You must discipline yourself to treat people with the dignity and respect that is theirs by virtue of God's imputation, the same way that God views you. And that's how you talk to people. And that's how you witness to them. Not with disrespect. I tell you, 1 Peter 3.15, that is a great verse. That is a great verse on evangelism. Even the first two verses. Uh, how about 1 Peter 3, instead of 15, 13 and 14. The first two verses that lead into that, 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. Who's got that? 1 Peter uh, 3, 13 and 14. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. That's why this is a verse on the bench. Do not fear. That's the thing that said before. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you to make an account for the hope that's within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. My wife was recently in a conference in Europe. She, she's a consultant. She keeps asking me, should I do this job? Should I do this job? I said, how much does it pay? And, and uh, she tells me, I said, yeah, you ought to do this job. No, but uh, we also talk about what our primary reason for, reason for it is. And it's a way that we feel that God is going to open doors for us to do our little mischief in China. Because this fundraising, she is the number one fundraising for schools in Asia. So she went to Phnom Penh International School. They love her. And they say, oh, Miltini, we have to give you a raise. So she calls me back. I just got a raise. And the money keeps going up against her will. Money, you know, she gets a raise. And then she went to Singapore American School and got another raise. And then they say, well, we're going to pay you while you're on the airplane, too. Oh, that's a raise. She's at this conference, and everybody's jockeying. The whole room is full of these consultants, big-time people, and they're just showing off their cards. The whole company gets together. Here comes little Miltini, my wife, the housewife from Somerville, Massachusetts, who is a dangerous fundraiser, I'm telling you. This lady is a giant. She's walking around. She says, I don't need to show off. I don't need to hand out my card. I got another life. I got another purpose. I, mean, I got a huge life that's outside of this. Meanwhile, everybody's there. That is their life. So she says, well, I'm here not to hand out my card. I don't need to tell my story. I'm here to find the elect. Now, who in this room is the elect? Who is it? And, of course, she went up to a couple of wrong people, so decided just to sit down. She said, God, you're going to have to bring the guy to sit next to me. So she just sits at the table. Somebody came down, and she had a chance to share and she says, it's amazing. All you have to do is just listen. And I try to find out what makes their life tick. Find out what is the, the purpose in their life. Try to understand their life. And just try to work on understanding their life because that's the entree. That's the entree into their life. And, uh, and that's a completely different story. She keeps getting uh, promoted 
but she's in there, and, and I wish I could work a crowd like that. Whenever I'm in a crowd, I'm always thinking the wrong things. But that is an example. I'm thinking about selling. I'm thinking about having to tell my story. She says, no, everybody wants to talk about their story. Nobody asks a reciprocal question like, what about you? They all want to talk. Everybody wants to tell their story, and you don't have to tell your story. You know, we just listen to their story. Be disciplined. Evangelism is truly a unique business. Walt once said, it's the only business where the salesman is paid not to make the sale, but he's paid just to make the call. Isn't that amazing? The only sales business where the salesman is not paid to make the sale. He is paid just to make the call. That is a unique business. And remember, you cannot contribute to the work of God. Your job is to confess not to convert. Otherwise, you're going to end up acting like a salesman, pushing them, manipulating events, using people, abusing people. We do evangelism not because we are God's gift to the process, but because we are obedient servants to God. And if we are commanded, there will be a reward for obedience. Evangelism has implications for your spiritual life. I would... I would just go so far to say that without it, you may tend to drift, get dull, even have your faith go dead on you. You've got to stay fresh. You've got to use it or lose it. I would say evangelism is the key to your own spiritual growth and your spiritual health. How does that work? Well, first it helps to keep your focus off yourself, focus on other people. People who are always thinking about themselves are not very good for evangelism. Not very healthy people. It makes you more other-centered. When you get into another person's life, it becomes a liberation from yourself. It develops your own personality. I mean, I've got so many ticks in my personality, I've got to get rid of these ticks. Things, ticks that everybody else sees about me, but I don't see. And you just shed them one, one after another. Because you are in the people business and this is the highest representation. You are an ambassador for Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And a buddy of mine in Hong Kong got chosen to be ambassador to China. And before they let him go up there, and especially his wife, they put them through ambassador school. You know, because he had to clean up her act as an ambassador. And we got to clean up our acts, you know. And we've got personalities that got ticks. we got to fix them. This is the best way for personal development. Get involved. In evangelism, I'd say also evangelism increases your faith. Absolutely incredible to see your buddy, someone you care about, someone you love, come to belief in the Savior. Like Andy says, one, card number one through four, my card got converted. Never would have believed that. It is a thrill and a half to see that. It increases your faith. There is a God. He is working with us. You know that joke about St. Peter coming at the gate, you know, and asking, and there's a persistent notion that it's just not about being in the book. You know, that there's also other stuff. I mean, it, it's just a rumor and nobody likes to hear it, but there is a test. There is an exit interview or something. I'm not sure it's a spelling test, but there is a test. I used to teach the SAT because I used to teach for Kaplan. I used to teach the GMAT course, and I used to be... Uh, good at teaching people how to beat the test. So I think the test is not a spelling test. It's a multiple choice test. The one that St. Peter has when we meet him at the gate. 
And maybe I'm not sure. I haven't seen it because I would like to get my hands on a copy of that test before I get up there. But it could go like this. Why didn't you share your faith with people more than you did? I'm going to say, well, wait a minute. I didn't know. I said, wait. Why didn't you share your faith more than you did? Uh-oh. More. That's the question. Choice A. Well, it never meant that much to me to talk about it. Choice B. I never thought it was such a big deal with you. I thought it was optional. These are lousy choices. <laughs> Choice C. I feared man more than I feared you. Choice D. I never really had any worthwhile opportunities. Choice E. I never thought I was ready or qualified. I mean, really one of the main guys, or not expert enough. So what would you, A, B, what would you do? A, B, C, D, or E? Well, here's the problem with A. Problem with A, you never meant that much to me to talk about it. Are you kidding me? You're going to tell God that what Jesus did for you on the cross to get your name in the book of life, you know, it never meant that much to me. Either you did not value what Christ did for you, or you didn't see your predicament. You say, oh, I'll become a Christian. I did it for help my, because I, I did it for my wife, or I did it for my parents. Oh, you know, it's no big deal. I mean, you don't know how much that meant. If it doesn't mean much to you, you're not going to share it. Is there a correlation between how much you talk about something and how much it means to you? All you got to do is listen to Bostonians talk about the Red Sox. You know, and the fact that I talk about it so much, my, my wife says it just tells that you're, how much that means to you. And I, I, it's embarrassing. We talk about what it means to, about the things that means what, what we care about. Just, just listen to the chatter in the beauty parlor any day, you can tell. The problem with B is when you say, I never thought it was such a big deal with you. We do have the commands. It's all over the Bible. It's in the parables. Command to do E squared, the last words of Jesus on this earth before he ascended. That's got to be important. So taken seriously is <coughs> what the New Testament, what made the New Testament church so great. Any church, any evangelism is what makes any church great. If this fellowship got evangelism under this crawl, this fellowship would explode. Next year it will be 180 people. Just one guy for one year. Get evangelism on our hearts, on our minds. Every day go out, part of the morning ritual, be alert. That's what will just energize any place. In fact, it's amazing how well we do, how many people stand up, considering everybody's just usually asleep at the wheel. Problem with C is afraid to witness. Again, we're men, and we, even though we read the book, Wilder Heart, we think we're, we're men. It's just basically we're wusses, we're chickens. And you admit to God that you're a chicken, and no one wants to look like a wimp. Problem with D is never had any worthwhile opportunities. Well, if you have contact with people, you have worthwhile opportunities. Only if you had zero contact with people can you say you never had this excuse, that you could use this excuse. I mean, even freaks in the carnival, they can, they can hold up a sign at least because people are looking at them. You know, even the, U <laughs> even the Unabomber, even the Unabomber, he's all isolated. He's still sending out bombs to people using the post office. I mean, so you cannot say you have no opportunities. 
The problem with E's, I'm not ready, I'm not qualified, I'm not, I feel inadequate, is the problem with C, I mean E is 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 29 says, For consider your calling, brethren, there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. God has chosen the base, the despised things of the world. That God has chosen to nullify the things, that God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. That no man should boast before God. And that is the purpose. All the people that are in this business are flaky people. There's not many white. Not many. At least we got an M. Not saying not any, but not many. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. So you feel foolish, you feel like you're not prepared, then you are qualified <laughs> to give this faith. So don't fear man. Fear God instead. You will be accountable. Sharing your faith is a litmus test of your faith. Sharing your faith is a printout of your hope. Do it. I'll come help you. Give me a call. You can't lose. You will grow. You will develop. You will thank me for it. If not now, if, then in heaven. Let's, let's say a prayer. Lord, I commit these men to you, your men, your chosen men. It's a motley crew, as you know. But, Lord, that's what qualifies us. We are an army. We are your men in Phoenix and Tucson and Mesa and all over. And we are going to be used. You are with us. You promised to be with us. Lord, forgive us for being asleep at the wheel. Forgive us for thinking about everything else. But this is, this is the business. This is the charge. Lord, we cannot lose. Help us to have a renewed fire under us to just always be doing this like the example of Jay Wheeler and on the way out here. Always be doing this, Lord. This is what we want to do. This is, this is our calling. And uh, be easy on us, Lord. We would pick C, throw ourselves at your mercy. We really do fear man more than we fear you. And Lord, we want to change. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.